We got a packed house, Cody and Tom, Cushman and Wakefield. What's up, fellas? Welcome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, of course. Welcome to our season two, first episode. This is the first ever in-person podcast for Madison Rose. How long was the layoff? Uh, layoff was about a year. Yeah. It got, it got, it got too negative. Yeah. But, but now that we're seeing a lot of positives in, in the world, in Chicago, most, most importantly, we, we figured we'd bring this back. And we really wanted to get you guys on here young, energetic, always optimistic for the most part and really starting to kill it on the capital market side. Um, you guys have, you know, have been, you know, the, I don't know, I think one of the shining lights is young up and coming capital markets guys here, here in Chicago. We continue to, to work with you on projects and I learned North Branch most recently. So we wanted just to get you guys here and get some of your insights on, on what you guys are seeing. Do, do some intros real quick. So Cody, uh, how long with Cushman were at before? So uh, Tom and I joined up in 2013 with uh, two other partners, Paul Lundstedt, Dan Deuter at CBRE. We were there for a handful of years and then went came to Cushman Whitefield 2018, I believe. So this is going on year five. And it's um, it's been a good ride thus far. We're uh, you know active in the market and despite obvious challenging times during a global pandemic, we've We've been successful um, and are big fans of uh, the market as a whole, and we're excited to be here. We're fans of the product you guys have put together here in terms of um, getting out there, putting yourselves out there, bringing others into the conversation. So kudos to you guys. I think that kind of activity, to Tom's point, I think that sort of forward-thinking activity and just pushing the envelope, I think it's good for the office market. Right? The office market needs more people that are thinking that way. Because um, the way you did things yesterday don't necessarily work coming out of what I think we've been through the last two or three years. And you see that with where all the leasing volume is starting to concentrate. You mentioned challenges. What, what, what do you, for you guys, you know, obviously right now is a slow period for the investment sales world. Um, there's some stuff on the market, but it, it's, it's, it's fair to say it's been a slowdown from where you guys were two years ago. What, 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 what is the biggest challenge? For you guys just on a day-to-day -day basis of workload and what your day-to-day -day is like um, and just for those that are listening that don't understand capital markets or these guys are these guys sell big office buildings yeah I think uh, you go back to the beginning of COVID and obviously when the pandemic emerged uh, here in the States in March of 2020 there was a very necessary pause in the market but things picked up fairly quickly um, finishing through the end of 2020 and I'd really argue through the beginning of 2022, transaction activity across different property types was, was pretty robust. Um, and we certainly saw an uptick in the office sector as well. But that said, in 2020, as, as uh, inflation became more central in people's minds and the Fed grew their attempts to combat inflation, it's caused uh, issues and, and really impacted transaction volume across the board, not just in the office sector. So that's arguably our biggest challenge today. I think the good news is, um, I think it's clear to anybody that picks up the paper that the Fed's attempts to combat inflation and bring inflation down are working, albeit that takes time. And if you go back through economic cycles, it always takes time, um, but we are trending in the right direction. Yeah, I think just from a challenge standpoint, Matt and Adam, I think the, the thing for me is <clears throat> just the tenor of a lot of our conversations because of how much interest rates moved and how quickly they moved, the tenor of a lot of those conversations doesn't isn't necessarily positive, right? I mean, there's you're talking to existing owners who have seen valuations change just as a function of cost of capital, and that's 
that's unavoidable. I mean, that's happened in every asset class, whether you're, you know, 99% leased industrial submarkets or you're a struggling office submarket. I mean, it's across the board, pricing has changed. So I think given the scale of the change, the challenge for us, like going forward is really, is to align, you know, buyers and sellers. I mean, the, the gap, the, the market moves so quickly that it, it takes people a, a bit of time to, to um, to really understand where pricing is. And, and that's not to say that we perfectly understand that. I don't know that anybody does. I mean, it's, it's, it's fluid and dynamic. Yeah. So what, what type of, I mean, there's obviously a lot of owners who are active sellers today in a market like Chicago. What type of owner is an active buyer in a market like Chicago today? Well, I would say this, the, with where pricing has, has trended, things have gotten very opportunistic, right? And I don't know that we're at the point where you're seeing all of the big PE shops that you've seen in past cycles. You think about the, you know, the world's biggest real estate companies are, are you know, typically PE companies. I don't know that you're seeing them in the marketplace. We're really seeing more traditional private capital. Um, but, you know, that makes it, it, it's, there's only so many groups that are private that can do the really big deals. So, and we've continued to see pretty good liquidity for the smaller quality stuff. When you get up into the, the upper echelons of size, it's, it's still, it can be tricky. And I think it's important to note that 2022 was an active year. You saw good transaction activity at the very beginning of the year. And as 2022 played out and you had the Fed's attempts to combat inflation, uh, rising interest rates come into focus, you saw a drop off in transaction activity across the board. So the point is you really have a dearth of, of sales activity and data points for folks to focus on. And so I think there is a question of who are those active groups. We know from our ongoing conversations in particular over the last three to six months that there are groups who are active. Underwriting opportunities, positioning themselves uh, to be buyers and go on the offensive, um, which is exciting for us all. Certainly for you guys on the leasing side, you know, groups coming in with fresh capital and a fresh perspective um, to go attack the market and yeah. leasing. Tom, don't you think the last two or three weeks too, you've seen a pickup in that in terms of people that are looking, actively looking? I think once people have wrapped their minds around the fact that I, you know, there is probably some seller financing available in some of these larger opportunities. Look, if you can't, if you can't finance it, a big deal becomes an enormous deal. Yep. But if sellers are going to finance it, then there's buyers out there that are willing to look. And we're having, we've had conversations with a half dozen of those groups in the last, really in the last three weeks. And I think there was a period of time before that where the, it was pretty quiet. Because people yeah. just felt like, if I spend my time on it, there's, there's still no way I can get it done. Yeah. It, it, is, is a catalyst in, in, in getting the capital markets more active, a, a Fed's retreat and, you know, suggesting they're going to start lowering interest rates? Is that when you think things will pick up? Is it, you know, the proof is in the pudding and once people actually see them beginning to lower interest rates? Or is it when people, when, when if we feel that the interest rates have actually stabilized and we've kind of peaked, is that when you think there'll be, it'll be a catalyst for, for, for more interest and more intrigue in, in some of these projects? It takes time, right? I, yeah. I, uh, I think the technical stat is historically from the last interest rate increase, it still takes nine months before the Fed gets into a interest rate tightening environment. So uh, we're not there yet, uh, but that gives you some definition that it's a process that we're currently in. Um, but I do think that the market as a whole understands that. And so groups are getting ready 
to be buyers when interest rates stabilize and the capital markets provide more liquidity, to Cody's point on the financing side in particular. Yeah, I think just having some stability helps too. I mean, you think about it, if, if you had continued monthly, you know, 50 yeah. basis point increases, you're gonna have a hard time putting your, your money into any fixed income asset. Yeah. Uh, but now that you've seen inflation level and really come down pretty materially, you feel like, all right, there may be another increase or two, but it's not gonna be the runaway freight train we saw in the second half of 2022. Yeah, so what, what comes back first in that case? The, like the newer product, super stabilized, traditionally lower cap rate Chicago type of sale, or the very opportunistic sub $100 a foot, older building needs a lot of love. Which one garners more attention in a market like Chicago? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's the super opportunistic will have buyers for sure. I think the very high quality that's continually had leasing demand, which I think is something people, they're sort of just wrapping their minds around in real time, which is, wow, this good product has still done quite a bit of leasing. You know, you talk to talk to our leasing team, they were talking about an asset that they sent out nine proposals to the asset manager last week in a single week. Now, these are not huge deals. Mm-hmm. There are some larger deals getting done, but that's good quality, functional yeah. product. And yeah. both of those have a place. I think there's a, a component of things in the middle that uh, will take the longest. And that's yeah. what we saw in 2020. I, I don't know the answer to this, but my question, maybe you can't reveal, is, is is that building or buildings you're talking about in more of a value price point? I'd say so, yeah. For the I, I say value maybe 42 gross and below. Yeah. For the geography, which it resides, it's definitely a good value. That's good. So that's that's consistent with what we're seeing. Our, our, our value product is white hot right now. I yeah. mean, 205 West Wacker, we've done eight deals in the last seven months and have been able to do really flexible lease terms yeah. and, and deal terms with a long-term holder in Alvarez Marsal. Um, our brick and timber loft stuff is seeing a ton of activity. Yeah. We've, you know, we, we know the flight to quality is real, but you know, Matt Garrison, I think, was, was quoted in an article yesterday with, with Mason from your team as well, where Matt Garrison says, you know, we're seeing this flight to value. And um, is, that, is that consistent with anything that you guys are hearing in the market as well from, from other leasing teams? Yeah, I mean, you know, light and air is still certainly a driver. Yeah. If you can offer value space, but you can still give people mm-hmm. natural light and, and fresh air, et cetera. I mean, I think you're you're seeing a lot of demand. Now, obviously, you continue to see strong leasing demand, as you guys have experienced, in uh, trendy markets like Fulton Market, yeah. um, with brand new trophy product in the cool neighborhood in Chicago, and that continues as well, but when you look at that higher quality, higher price point product, um, from a capital markets perspective, you don't typically see that product shake loose when there's this dislocation in the capital markets. Those owners are typically longer term owners, uh, more modest and leveraged, generally speaking, obviously there's exceptions, um, and have the ability to wait it out and work through uh, this current point in the market. But, you know, there's certainly demand for that product and we expect that to come back. I think that'll, that'll come along with capital markets and interest rates in particular stabilizing. Yeah. Big, big opportunity, and it's not necessarily a flight to quality, but just a flight to better quality. And it doesn't get nearly the same amount of news coverage, but you know, a B building is an upgrade for a C tenant, but a B building never makes its way into cranes. But that is the majority of the velocity in the market. It's just less pronounced. 
less visible. Yeah, that's something we've talked a lot about is you got to have something you can hang your hat on. But I, I think Chicago was a market that for a long time you had to have something, right? We got 130, 140 million square feet of product in a relatively dense location, probably I think the second densest collection of office in the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in order to stand out, you have to have something that, that makes you unique. And, you know, even if that's A location, B asset, I mean, that that probably works. Yeah. Certainly if you're A both, right? Yeah. If you're if you're A location, A asset, then leasing has seemingly been pretty strong throughout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can you don't have to be that. You don't have yeah. to be A and A to do a lot of leasing. Right. And that's what we're kind of learning. Because I don't know if I was I don't know if we would have said that two years ago. Right. Yeah. For sure. The peripheral stuff continues to do well. Places where there's not a glot of inventory. Yeah, again, the, if you're the a neighborhoods. If you're a 10,000 foot tenant and you're even in Fulton, but if you're in Lincoln Park or somewhere kind of obscure like that. And if you have parking. And if you have parking, there, there, there's just so little product. Tenants will pay a premium for parking. Yeah. A lot of our Goose Island stuff got high 20s, net rents, even low 30s. I know you guys are working on a project in Goose Island right now. But we were able to get really, really high net rents and adaptive reuse, creative office type stuff. Um, rents that were similar, you know, if not better than buildings on Wacker Drive, fully renovated we're getting. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we had incredibly um, great located buildings that were cool, but we had a lot of parking. Is that, right. is, is that something that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're talking to certain groups that may be selling buildings outside of the core, they have the, you know, have access to a lot of parking, maybe encourage them to, to test the market. You know, I don't know how much you guys can talk about 900 North Branch, probably not a lot, but building like that, tons of parking, seemed like you guys, you know, garnered at least a lot of interest in that project. Yeah, I mean, you saw, you know, you were on a number of the tours, I mean, a lot of tour activity. I think people just look at that and say, this is, this is different for yeah. so many different reasons, you know, hundreds literally of parking stalls at some of that product. I, I feel like it's just the biggest challenge with things that were outside of the core historically was exactly that. They were outside of the core. You know, the folks I interact with might be downtown, I'm up here. You know, you take some component of, of folks that were going into the core and you put them back in their residences for some amount of time, all of a sudden that neighborhood office that's right next door down the street. I mean, you know, if you live in, if you live in Lincoln Park, drive over to Goose Island and see how time yourself, yeah. right? And then mm-hmm. drive somewhere else and time yourself and you're going to see that it's a very efficient place to, to get to for a lot of people that live in yeah. nice neighborhoods that use office product. I, I don't think there's a lot of mystery to it. And, and then you sort of look at it and go, well, if I'm going to be in a place where I'm not right next to a train stop, I can't just walk off a train, I probably need parking. Yeah. And the product there that's done really well that you guys have spearheaded a lot of has exactly that. And I think parking's important, but as I look at even more high level, what we've seen both from a tenant demand perspective, which you guys know better than us, uh, as well as investor demand, over the last couple of years, differentiated, unique product that's that's cool, that's amenitized, that has neighborhood amenities, seems to be what's garnering more attention from both tenants and investors. Why from the investor side? Because investors generally follow tenant demand. Yeah. yeah. And, and everyone likes to think that, and, and rightfully so, right? If, if this tenant's here and they're using whatever this space is, where else could they go and find the same thing? And if those answers are you know, very few and far between, then you feel like you've got sticky tenants and that's what everybody wants. You want sticky, you want tenants that are gonna stay. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of advice would you you know, give an owner right now? I mean, I'm sure you guys are doing a lot of BOVs on, on certain projects. Everyone's trying to evaluate and, 
and trying to figure out what, what do you think my building is actually worth, which I think is a really, really difficult thing to do right now. I mean, I think trying to come up with a, you know, the value of an office building right now is, is probably pretty challenging. So what, what kind of advice do you give to someone who may have not reached out to you yet and said, hey, can you do a BOV in this building, help me kind of understand the value of my building? What, someone that hasn't had gotten in that game yet, maybe they're losing a larger tenant. Like what, what, what is your advice to those building owners because um, these are probably things that Adam and I don't don't think of think about it on a given day. I think we just like to be have the open dialogue. Yeah. You know, versus you know, you come in, you you give a presentation, and you and you leave, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the start and the finish of it. In these situations, everything's so fluid. It's good to just open the dialogue. I mean, if you wanted to talk to us once a week and just pick our brains on on various tenants, that's things that we're doing for half a dozen different groups you know, at any certain time. I think that's that's what we like. Because we, every situation is so different. It's hard to sort of can advice and, and try to hand sure. it over. Uh, but, you know, if you if you give us time and, and we you know, open the open the kimono, the answers usually start to start to show themselves. I don't know if you think I completely that. agree. There's no one size fits all answer. Uh, every situation is unique. Every ownership groups or capital stack situation is unique. Um, but it's all about to to our efforts and what I think our team is historically known for is is being candid um, and and bringing both the realism uh, with the optimism and the opportunity. So yeah, it's hard to give you know one response to every owner across the market. I mean, you guys are kind of the gatekeepers to, to Chicago in some respect because so many of your clients are from outside of Chicago. I mean, there I mean, there's a significant amount of investors that you know, occupy space in the coast. Um, and frankly, Chicago, I think unfairly, kind of gets this bad rap. And I think it's like easy to pick on Chicago from for, for whatever reason. It seems like not only do we pick on ourselves from our own publications, but we're picked on, you know, from, from everywhere. What, when, when, when you talk to clients that are from outside of Chicago, and they're probably reading a lot of the headlines that are not so positive, again, and I think a lot of it is clickbait, as you said, you said earlier, what is your big like why Chicago? I think it's for the same reasons that have been talked about for cycles. It is uh, one of America's great cities. It's one of the most diversified economies. So we have the benefit of we may not see the, the high highs that other markets do that have more concentration in industry, but we also don't see the low lows. This is a relatively stable market. Um, and in the context of the Midwest region, this is the this is the collection basket for the highly educated talent uh, filters from the overall Midwest. They want to come to Chicago. They want to be at the, the largest city, place of commerce, where many of the job opportunities are. Um, and fortunately, as you peel back the onion and you get past some of that clickbait, the stories in terms of population growth downtown, job growth, uh, have continued to be positive, despite what you may read in one publication or another. And I think if you compare Chicago to some of those incredibly hot markets, one of the things that always stands out to me is the infrastructure that we have here. I mean, yes, the the northeastern big cities have have infrastructure, but those are not the markets people are talking about today. They're talking about the Sun Belt. They're talking about the Southwest, right? And in those areas, there is very little infrastructure. So you're 100% reliant on vehicular traffic, essentially. And then you look at sort of home prices and quality of life and... And there's things that 
Um, you know, we're fortunate in some ways that our city grew up many, many years ago when you could pay for nice things a lot yep. more affordably, and now it's a lot more difficult to add that infrastructure to build those those schools, the things that you need. And I think there's just an incredible quality of life in Chicago. I mean, I mean, maybe it was harder when it used to snow two feet, and everyone still loves to talk about that. But I think we get about three inches of snow a year now too, which needs to be needs to be publicized. I would, I would encourage you guys to put that in some flyers. No, we're we're on record now. It doesn't snow here. It, it doesn't snow. Yeah, it snowed on Sunday. It was yeah. gone in thirty minutes. Yeah, I do think it's supposed to snow three to five tomorrow. <laughs> but but it is a thing, you know. You, yeah, some of those cities you're talking about with with that lack of the infra- infrastructure. When we talk about infrastructure, you talk about our 1.5 trillion dollar transportation system, which is the L, uh, which is maybe top five in the world. I mean, you really cannot replicate that anywhere. Um, and uh, but when you talk about Sunbelt, some of those cities you may be referencing is Austin, Nashville, cities that have you know Austin. I know is struggling with significant amount of traffic and I think there is you know 60 plus days last year which were 100 degrees and you start to look at how our weather has become a little bit more mild again something I think that should be publicized because we, 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 we've been in the 40s through yeah. middle of January there you go when was the last time you connected on a flight in the states I mean we, we, we don't yeah I don't know that I, I don't know yeah. that I have in five years not, not on purpose you know, yeah, yeah without it, something getting canceled or yeah. moved on me and something we take for granted, you know, move to a, a sort of smaller Sunbelt market and every time you go to any sort of conference or get together with, with friends, there's going to be two legs to the flight. There's, there's things like that that are this beautiful thing about living in a major city. Yeah. Well, I think the other piece, particularly as you're comparing and contrasting with some of these other magnet cities that have seen big population growth and big job growth over the last decade or more, Chicago is a very affordable market, certainly relative to the coast. And for the longest time, in particular, those Sunbelt markets were seen as being very affordable and offering the same quality of life. What's playing out, given all that population growth and job growth, highly educated folks moving to those markets, they're not as affordable as they were three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. So I think the pendulum will swing back to Chicago um, from a sort of national, thought process and that's going to be our continue to be our benefit certainly relative to the rest of the country you can still buy a really nice house in the city of chicago or in the surrounding suburbs uh you know without being the ceo of a corporation right i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's a good quality of life and the public schools are getting better in the city clearly all the time and certain neighborhoods are actually highly rated if people are willing to look past again the clickbait and actually look at the facts yep. and then certainly all the suburbs that can be a 20 or 30 minute train ride away which in the context of commuting is almost nothing uh, have some of the best schools in the country in the last month mm-hmm. incredible amounts of people coming downtown I mean certainly yeah. it is Tuesday Wednesdays Thursdays for those that take the train, I know Adam takes the train every single day, it's just been a madhouse in the morning. And obviously we look right out our window, we can see just the train stations. I think it's it's really good to see because it feels like specifically the last two or three weeks have been the most people I've seen since the onset of COVID in 2020. And that's you know going on almost three years. Yeah. So we kind of had this suspicion that it was going to just continue to increase constantly. You were never gonna see the 20 or 30 percent in a given month that people love to predict early yeah. on but it was just going to be you know you're going to continue to pick off people every month that are going to say you know what i should go back to the office and i think that's what we're seeing 
I mean, if you think about the scale of Chicago, we're back to over 50% on those days of the week. That's probably the third most people coming downtown in any city in the country. Sure. Now, it's only a fraction or a portion of what it was previously, but in the context of everything else, it's still a ton of people. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are full. It's tough to get reservations yeah. even at lunchtime right now. Yeah. You go to restaurants at night, every single one of them is packed. And they're back people open. Spend, yeah. They're back open. Yeah. That was a huge thing, I thought, in 2020 and 21. If you were coming to the office, like I imagine all four of us were, um, you know, you couldn't go out to lunch for a while. And I think some of the people that probably came in and haven't come back still, you know, see the loop as what it was then. Mm-hmm. It's like, give it a chance. Come back. It's much different. Yeah. And there's plenty of people around, I promise you, to make you feel every bit as safe as you did pre-COVID. I think that's another huge misconception is, oh, I don't want to be walking around. It's like, I mean, I don't think it's as, as different as people think it is. Yeah. Um, Fold Market's obviously been the darling. Chicago continues still to be the darling. I think some of our most active projects are, are still our Fold Market projects. The Central Loop. Well, South Street in particular has become a pretty big topic of discussion. The city has made a lot of new uh, efforts to try to improve LaSalle Street, to try to, um, um, you know, bring it back to what it really should be, which is, you know, there's just a museum of buildings with beautiful architecture. Um, obviously, it's been slow to return. It's, 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 it's relatively quiet, um, but it is completely surrounded by the L. It's why it's called the loop and it's in the center of it all is is you know it's kind of been the 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 market in chicago that has had the most negative headlines um but now you just saw almost three million square feet of potential office deconversions to multifamily. any any insight that you guys have been thinking about or talking about with with some of your clients or potential investors on you know the pros and cons of of those things yeah i think um a variety of thoughts i think you know, it can't be understated the impact that a tenant like Google can have on a submarket. You can look across the U.S. and the, the globe more broadly in terms of cities where they've moved into emerging submarkets or nodes. Look here in Chicago, Fulton Market wasn't an office market largely until Google decided to move there, and it's now one of the hottest submarkets in the entire country. So uh, I still think it's going to be a number of years until we know what that exact impact is, but. Um, I think I think bright days exist for the central loop. I think um, yes, you've seen tenants that have migrated and continue to migrate to Fulton Market because it is uh, such a cool environment. It's the mixed use environment that everybody wants right now, from employee retention and attraction. Um, but you can look at other examples. I mean, look at what happened in Boston when many large tenants decamped from the business district to the seaport. You saw creative and tech tenants backfill that space in many historic buildings downtown and i think um, that's something that we will see here in chicago uh, because you do have really great buildings there and there is no question that uh, some element or some portion of the market will very likely need to be repurposed but that's only to the benefit of the overall environment yeah. right presenting more of a mixed-use environment that has more liveliness after business hours yeah yeah i think that's exactly right. I mean, you get the benefit of removing that office space from inventory, but then you also get the benefit of adding retail because you're adding all of those residents. I mean, you go to a smaller town or city and 
you think about what adding two or three million square feet of multifamily would look like, it would be all of the multifamily in downtown yeah. Columbus, yep. Ohio. Yeah. Right? But in Chicago, it could be, you know, three or four buildings. Um, so I think that could add a, a significant amount of just foot traffic and liveliness around the clock, which is one thing it needs. And then I also think, you know, Tom will probably hit me when we walk out for saying this, but I think we need, I think we need fair taxation, right? If you've got buildings that have, have truly reset in terms of basis, um, you know, I, I think they need to be taxed accurately to allow landlords to, to create that value office we were talking about earlier. It's harder to create value office if your taxes are, are elevated and you're on par with buildings in the West Loop, right? Well, and Fritz Kage has made it difficult because he's gotten rid of the vacancy credit and people are, you know, fighting tooth and nail to just try to find ways to get vacancy credits for buildings that are, the majority of them are completely empty. I agree. I mean, the, 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 you know, we've owned some of those buildings that, that have been victims of that, and it, it just makes absolutely zero sense that there shouldn't be vacancy credits given out for buildings that have substantial amounts of vacancy. I mean, we, we, we can't afford to have empty buildings. I mean, and there's something to be said about all the infrastructure you have around you in the central loop, but also just the, the you know, walk down the South Street sometime on a sunny day, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's still cool. Yeah. The architecture that you see, I mean, you could convince yourself you're in Midtown Manhattan, and there's, it's just that our loop, our quote-unquote Midtown Manhattan, where our tallest buildings are congregated, is almost purely office, versus having a mix of various and in, things. In New York, they're doing a significant amount of repurposing of, of all the buildings right yeah. now and having mixed-use buildings. And, and every other building in New York seemingly is a hotel. Right, yep. or you've got the theater. You've got you know the theater district. You've got Times Square. You have all these things that sort of immerse people, but between the office culture and just everyday life together, and I think that's what you need in the in the central and east loop to a, to some extent is just you need to immerse the two a little bit. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> uh, well, I think you're going to see more capital markets activity in 2023. I'm a firm believer of that. From what I can tell, you guys are probably going to see more leasing activity too. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think on the capital markets front, you know, you're going to get it from a couple of different angles. You're going to finally, after you know, 10, 12 months of talking about inflation and seven months of really feeling it, you're going to feel a little bit of stability and where rates are likely to be for some period of time. Um, uh, don't get me wrong. There's going to be some folks that that are just in distress and are you know have to throw their hands up because lenders are saying you know this isn't this isn't for us at this time. So we're moving on. So there's going to be there's going to be a few different drivers as my expectation. I think that's going to be consistent across the country. Plus, you know, there's an incredible amount of capital in the world. You know, you sort of take for granted, but it's still, it still remains true. We've had a period of about a year, like we talked about earlier, where you really haven't seen any meaningful transaction volume, particularly in the office sector. And to Cody's point, I think 2023 is uh, over the course of this year, we will start to see more transaction activity, which is really the first step in allowing for um, activity across the market to, to begin and really flourish. And I think like I said, that's where your job comes in after you do have some buildings that will go through basis reset, new fresh capital coming in that's aggressive, that wants to attack leasing, um, you know, that's good for everybody and that's that's natural as you go through economic cycles like this. And fortunately, I don't know that we need to wait a whole lot longer to see that begin. 
you know, there's a few buildings that are on the market right now, just seeing one of them trade, right? Wouldn't that be great yeah. just to, to give people an idea of maybe where where pricing is? Yeah. Maybe, and you'd like to see just one go? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even if they're not our, our listings, right, at this yeah. point, I think yeah. you're, you're all amongst the investment sales community. I think you're all cheering for each other yeah. to be successful because a little bit of liquidity goes a long ways for everybody. Um, and I think there are at least three, maybe four or five deals out there right now that uh, we have it on pretty good authority that are very likely to sell. Um, so, you know, you start to see four or five. Um, I think it's, it's informative to owners and lenders as to where they are and what their situation probably is, right? So it sort of, it benchmarks that. But then it's also informative to buyers. All right, this got financed, here's where it priced. You know, everyone's always afraid on the buyer side of in declining markets of catching this perceived falling knife. And you hate to use cliches, especially on a podcast with gentlemen like yourselves. <laughs> but but you know, nobody wants to catch the falling knife in quotes. But you know, if if all of a sudden you have hard data points that are out there yeah. and they feel really attractive to you, likely draws more people into the marketplace. 